Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Deanna D'Amelio, President of Gwinnett Mercy, as our guest. Well, absolutely. I always love to start out with your journey, your journey and your pathway to the presidency. And can you talk a little bit about who are the mentors that really helped shape you and your path? Sure. Thanks for the question. Um, well, I would have to start with uh, my parents who uh, really instilled in me this idea that I could do whatever I wanted to do, which um, for somebody who grew up in the 60s and 70s was not all that common, especially for a woman um, and from a mother who did not graduate from college. So uh, they understood the importance of education that was instilled early. And then, you know, professionally, when I first got into higher education, um, which was a little bit later because I am by training an attorney and did practice for a while before I went into higher education. So when I first got hired, I was hired by Sister Mary Ann Dillon, a Sister of Mercy, who was the president at Mount Aloysius College, where I was hired to be a faculty member. And um, it was my first time really teaching or uh, being in the higher ed space. So Sister Mary Ann gave me a lot of opportunities to learn about higher education. So she put me on committees and uh, asked me to chair search committees, things like that. And I always I said, yes, <laughs> I always say to students, say yes, when you're asked to do things so that you can learn you know, sort of a broad uh, base of information. So I worked at Mount Aloysius for 15 years as a faculty member, and then I became a dean. And Sister Marianne actually sent me to um, a, a, a conference for women in higher education who think they might want to be administrators. So I really learned so much from her about being a leader about being a clear communicator and uh, how to build consensus, things like that. And she gave me those opportunities. So I really consider her to be a mentor. And then secondly, I would say Suzanne Mellon, who was the president of Carlo University in Pittsburgh, uh, which is the place I went after Mount Aloysius, and I was the provost there for a few years. And so um, I learned a lot from Suzanne, watching her very closely and working with her very closely, creating a strategic plan, things like that. So um, I, I would consider those two women uh, to be professionally mentors in higher education for me and certainly have helped me in my current role as president at Gwinnett Mercy. So I, I hear oftentimes, <clears throat> you know, parents and students, but but. More often than not, parents ask about the value, the value of an education, the value of a degree. And I, I think we're being challenged more often today, maybe than ever before, you know, as post-secondary institutions. So how do you how do you address that question? Yeah, it's a common question. And, um, you know, I, I guess I do it in a couple of ways. I talk in practical terms and then broader terms as well. So as a practical matter, you know, um, the data is clear that those who graduate with a bachelor's degree have more earning potential, have lower unemployment rates. Um, honestly, some other 
key sort of indicators of, if you will, of success. Those stats are clear. Um, they're clear for Gwynedd Mercy as well, with 96% of our grads, you know, having employment or graduate school within six months. Um, we're in the top 6% in the nation for tenure earnings, things like that. So I talk in practical terms about the clear data indicating the fact that jobs, you know, earning power is higher. And honestly, that's what a lot of parents care about right now is kind of, is my child going to get a job? So I, I do speak about that. But then I also talk about the fact that at Gwynedd Mercy, with the Mercy Foundation and the values that we espouse, um, that that is a differentiator for us. And our folks, we like to say, not only do well for themselves because they have the jobs and the earning power, but they also do good because of the foundation that we give them with our mission and our core values of respect, integrity, service, and social justice. So we have a lot of folks out, alumni in the field who have done, are very successful in their careers, but boy, have they also given back and they've done wonderful things based on what they learned here. So that is really the added value, the value plus of a Gwynedd Mercy University education. So uh, I, I'd imagine at a, at a smaller institution, it, it, it must be great to get to know probably all this, <clears throat> most of the students, if not all the students, right? Compared to a flagship state school where maybe you have tens of thousands of students where it's a lot harder. But I would imagine as an advantage, it's got to be great to be able to really, really get to know the students. And as you had mentioned earlier, especially as freshmen, to make sure that these students get involved and don't let opportunities pass. Yeah, um, I, you know, the students, is that's the reason that we're here. Um, that's why I've been in higher ed now for 25 years. Um, I love being around the students. I still take every opportunity I can uh, to see them if they're they're playing on the soccer field or field hockey or last night I was with the the team that had the highest GPA. Um, I I host them just for kind of a dessert reception each fall, um, just to recognize that you know even while they have jobs and you know they're they're on the field that they have the really good grades that they performed and we're Division three school so you know that's really important to be a scholar athlete so. Um, and I also uh, get the opportunity once a year, we usually have a, a group of our young women students, and they talk about leadership. And sometimes I'm the speaker, sometimes we bring in some of our alums who are women leaders um, to talk to our students. So yes, I have great opportunity to speak with SGA, student government. And just first of all, I like to listen to them. Tell me, what you're interested in. Tell me what you like about Gwynedd Mercy. Tell me what you'd like to see change about Gwynedd Mercy, you know, because this is your school. Then you are why we are here and doing what we're doing. So um, it's always an education for me. I love hearing from them and listening to them. And as I said, last night, I said to them about, you know, jump in. Um, in our opening convocation, I said the same thing. Take a hundred percent advantage of the opportunity to not only get a world-class education, but to have the full experience, join the club, join the team, do whatever, 
because it's going to pay dividends for you in the end. And that's the best advice, you know, all these years in school myself and um, all these students I've had the opportunity to be with over 25 years. Um, that is the best advice that I could give to students, but they are the heartbeat. They are the lifeblood and they give energy to everyone who works here. That's why we're here. So how do you make sure uh, that students are career ready, especially, you know, today you have jobs that aren't going to exist in five to 10 years, certain jobs. And, and on the flip side, there's going to be jobs in five, 10 plus years that will be around that we don't even see today. So how do you make sure that students are ready for that? So we focus on the skills. You know, we have adapted our learning outcomes really around the skills that employers say are important. And it doesn't matter really what the job is. Um, it's about the skills like communication, both written and oral communication, the ability to engage in problem solving, to work in teams, to have ethical decision making. Those are actually skills that we address in our learning outcomes. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I actually just said this also to the students, you know, like it doesn't honestly matter that much what your major is. Right. I know you're preparing to be an accountant or a teacher or a nurse, and that's all fine. But it is more important to focus on those skills, because in a million years, when I was an undergraduate, I was an elementary ed major. I never dreamed I'd be sitting here as a university president talking to you about that, you know, all these years later. And, and it's about the fact that I was able to focus and learn from and build upon those skills. So that's how we intentionally prepare our students to be ready for those jobs that don't exist yet, in addition to the value piece that I mentioned. So <clears throat> I often hear the words meet students where they are, you know, and, and that can mean everything in my experience and what I hear from, from presidents you know, that can mean everything from providing different types of learning modalities online, on campus, or maybe offering uh, certificates in addition to an undergraduate or graduate degree. Can, can you tell us, you know, how does your institution meet students where they are? So I, I would say a couple of things. We do, in fact, offer all sorts of different modalities. And we also have different types of students. So we have students who are traditional undergraduates, we have degree completers, and we have graduate students who are taking online courses. We have students who take degrees on the weekend. So we in fact have adapted. And I have to say that's from our heritage of the Sisters of Mercy um, who founded the institution um, 75 years ago. They have always been looking for what's the next great need and how do we adapt to it? So Gwen and Mercy is still doing that. We're very pragmatic in that regard. And so we've been doing all those things, honestly, for many years and kind of meeting students where they are. In addition to that adaptation, we also offer a lot of wraparound services for students, right, to help them get to where they need to be, like peer tutoring, professional tutoring, counseling, all those things that are important to support students in reaching their goals. So I would say that's 
we've always been uh, adap adapting to what students need and then providing the support and to help them get there. So what are the top two initiatives that you're consistently thinking about on a day-to-day -day basis? <laughs> so um, I would say we are in what I would call kind of a transformational time with projects on campus. And I mean, capital projects. So one of our biggest initiatives right now is we will be breaking ground on the new Francis M. McGuire Healthcare Innovation Center, which when it is completed, will be our largest academic building on campus at about 65,000 square feet. And so that building will house all of our nursing and healthcare programs with state of the market simulation labs, skills labs, but also allow for what we call interprofessional education so that students in social work and psychology can work in teams with our nurses, our respiratory therapists, our public health folks, speech language pathology, all of that, basically the way they work in real world setting um, in the acute care hospital setting. So um, that's a big project and that groundbreaking is happening in a few weeks. Um, so that's sort of on my mind in addition to some other big capital projects that we have. And then um, really just transitioning to our next strategic planning effort uh, because we're about to really wrap up our current strategic plan, you know, to kind of get us, I'm always looking forward to the future uh, for the next several years. So you're at about 2000 students today. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Okay. So how, how big do you want to get or how big can you get? Yeah. Um, interesting question. Um, you know, we don't at the moment really set a number goal. Um, we look at programs and, you know, we have a well-established reputation in healthcare, business, education. But um, so we look to see where's the need, where's the program, the next thing that we want to build, and then how big can we go from there? So, um, you know, I think definitely we want to get a little bit bigger than where we currently are um, because like everyone, the pandemic um, affected uh, where the enrollment was. Um, so we definitely think we can get a little bit more than where we are now. So we have definite plans to offer a couple new programs. Like I said, the new space will allow for um, students to do more simulation in our nursing and healthcare programs. And so I think that will definitely influence our um, enrollment in some of those programs as well. So being a private institution, you know, I'm sure there, uh, there, there's obviously always a concern about affordability for families and, and how, you know, how do you pay for college? So how do you, how do you make sure you put those concerns at ease and really help families understand the financial commitment uh, for, you know, to go to college, but also go to a private institution? Yeah. So again, I think it's a practical matter. We really try to be transparent with families and their student or their students and show them, first of all, exactly what it's going to cost, because what they see is the actual tuition and fees is not what they end up paying. A hundred percent of our undergraduate students receive some form of financial aid. So um, when that financial and institutional aid is all applied, 
then we show them exactly what's left, first of all. So as a practical matter, we, we do try to educate people as to exactly what's the cost and what am I going to pay? And then the second part of your question is really about value. Why is it worth it to come to a private institution? And I will tell you that actually, in some cases, in terms of cost, it's the same or less they pay at a private institution, at least this institution, um, in, and many private institutions in Pennsylvania, as it is some of the state institutions in Pennsylvania. The amount of debt that students come out with is less in the nonprofit independent sector than it is in the state sector. So, and again, many people don't realize that. So it's about educating them. But again, the value piece is about why it's different to be at Gwen and Mercy. What do you get? And that's that base with the mission and the core values and the outcomes that we have both practical, you know, again, doing well and doing good. So I, at every opportunity, when I speak at an open house or an accepted students day, um, I illustrate all of those things best I can. Our financial aid people walk them through all of those things as well so that they're educated and they know. I will also say again, being a mercy institution, we put a high value on access for students and inclusivity for students. So, um, you know, we historically have served those who may not have the opportunity to go to um, college. And so it's important for us that they have that opportunity to come here. So how do you make sure that students uh, persist? You know, what elements, what pieces do you have in place to make sure that students go from freshman to sophomore year, but also persist through to graduation? Yeah, very important to us um, and because it's a mission imperative that we accepted these students, that we want them to finish and complete so um, like I said, we have a, we pay a lot of attention to what their needs are, uh, a lot of intervention strategies. So, you know, if, if a student is not coming to class more than two times in a row, you know, there's a whole committee of people that sit around and talk about, OK, what do we do next? Um, there's alerts that go off. There's, like I said, counseling. Um, it's, it's sometimes fairly intrusive. Uh, you know, showing up at a student's door to say, hey, you haven't been in class for a couple of times. Um, and you know what is very interesting, Brad? Um, I've been here six years. I just started my seventh year. And at every every time I meet with students, I always ask them, what do you like best about Gwyneth Mercy? And I can tell you, it's very interesting. 100% of the time, the answer is the same. And that is, oh, I really like the small classes and the attention that I get from my professors because they know who I am. So students recognize that the faculty and staff do care about whether or not they're sitting in class and they're showing up to wherever it is they're supposed to be. They appreciate the outreach. So, um, you know, that's, I would say, first and foremost, kind of what we do to address retention and persistence of students is making sure they understand that we care that they finish and that they get to where they need to be. And we help them every step of the way. I think we do that actually really well here. So what's been the biggest change from being an attorney to being the, the president? You know, what have you been able to carry over? What have, Maybe what has been the biggest surprise as far as your, your day to day? 
<laughs> yes, it's it's. I laugh because in my uh, six years here, um, I have completed several real estate deals, and they've been rather significant, um, and they've had terrific impact, you know, for the institution. But I could have never anticipated that I would have spent um, that amount of time in the last several years in the middle of a pandemic um, doing, you know, kind of real estate transactions. And I was not a real estate attorney, by the way, either. But um, it's a terrific skill set to have as a university president because um, I at least understand how to read a contract and I know what to look for. I know how to deal with the many attorneys that we have had to deal with, not just for the real estate deals, but other things that, you know, other things that occur um, in the life of a university. Um, and, and as also, I would say, the sort of analytical eye that I bring to really everything that I do. Um, it's a great background um, to have as university president. So honestly, there's a lot of similarity, I would say, more than than differences um, from when I practiced. And because I did a lot of litigation, you know, and presentation, that kind of thing, that's the same too. I mean, I, I have to present all the time to boards and uh, gatherings. So, um, you know, I always say it's a great preparation for this kind of work. So now you recently became the chair for the Atlantic East Conference. Is that correct? Yes, last year. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm I'm curious. What what are your thoughts as far as all of the realignment that's going on across the country with the various conferences? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, higher education as a whole, um, similar to healthcare, is really undergoing a lot of transformation. Um, it was happening prior to the pandemic. But the pandemic, I think, accelerated a lot of movement, you know, and we're, we've all been waiting for this demographic cliff that's supposed to occur in 25, 26. So I think it's already here, you know. So, again, that sort of big change in higher ed shifting is fueling, I think, also what's happening in the athletic uh, situation. So. Um, it's not really all that different in Division Three, and even in the Atlantic East. Um, you know, there some of the conferences are people are moving, jumping from one to another. Um, you know, and, and the goal is, I think, the same, especially at Division Three, is what's best for the student, and that's that's really what I can speak to is what's happening at Division Three. Um, you know, we're focused on what's the best thing for our student athletes. Even, even at the Atlantic East, um, we're trying to grow uh, the conference as well. So, you know, I think it's a time of great change and people are trying to figure out what's the best uh, configuration of organization that's going to serve uh, the goals of meeting the student athletes where they are and getting them to where they need to be. So, I, you know, I can't really speak to Division One. That's like a whole different you know, can of worms, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine now you're, you're probably doing a lot of fundraising. We are in the silent phase of a campaign. Okay. So yes. what makes what makes a successful fundraiser? Um, you know, I think 
a successful fundraiser is somebody who's able to build relationships with people and is a good listener um, because you have to deal with a lot of different um, types of people who have different interests in what they want to uh, be philanthropic about, what they care about. And really that's been the fun of, of doing fundraising is really getting to meet people from all different backgrounds. They have a different connection with the university or maybe they have no connection with the university. And I get to tell them the story of the Sisters of Mercy, how they came here and founded the institution 75 years ago. And, you know, it's great for us to talk about our 75th anniversary, all the great things that are going on. And then they tell me, you know, what they're interested in. And so I think uh, those are the two things is, you know, able to build a relationship with somebody and able to listen to what the donors are interested in because they want to leave a legacy um, for this institution, which is what my goal is, is to make sure that the legacy is secure here. And so we can be partners in that, um, in the fundraising effort. So speaking, speaking of legacy, so at Gwinnett Mercy, where do you see the institution in 10 years? So yeah, 10 years is so, <laughs> so far into the future, but Maybe we look uh, at five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, five is more doable. But, um, you know, in a word, I would say thriving. Um, that, you know, we really want to be the thriving Catholic university leader in professional and healthcare education. That really is our guiding vision for um, what we're working on right now and what we'll be working on in the next few years. So I would say five years from now, that we're going to get, we're going to reach that goal. The buildings will be built and renovated. We will have celebrated, you know, our anniversary and, and done some more initiatives along that. And um, I think fully recovered from, you know, the last several years of uh, pandemic effect and the tail of that as well. So, so that's what I see in, in about five years from now. Excellent. Well, Deanne D'Amelio from Gwinnett Mercy. Hey, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.